Yeah, it's all good. I'm I'm very happy to be speaking with you again, Peter. Man, it's been been too long. I know I always say that, but uh, it's been too long. How you been? I'm good. I'm good, man. It just uh, you know, it's kind of Groundhog Day where I'm at a little bit. Um, just taking it easy. That's it, you know. But I'm glad we have these scheduled every two months, so it's kind of we all a reason to always check in, you know. I dig it, man. I dig it. So you say you're in a Groundhog Day situation. Do you like have some things that repeat themselves today or what happened? I think my day just is the same day every day, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> I mean, it feels like that, doesn't it? Like it's yeah. been that way for the past, I don't know, since the pandemic began, probably. Yeah. I feel like I do the same things over and over again, which are not bad. They're not bad things. It's just that... uh it's not what I'm used to doing uh, before, but I know a lot of people can have can say the same thing, you know. Yeah. So, what does a, a Dr. Darian Parker day look like? Uh, usually, getting up in the six-ish around morning range because I got to get my daughter ready for school, and um, I'm not sure what mood she's going to be in when she wakes up. So that's an adventure. That's different. <laughs> like, you know. Is she in person? Then? She's in person now, yeah, in Washington State uh, for hybrids, like one week on, one week off. And, uh, you know, it's it's just getting up early, getting her together, you know, parent stuff, you know. And then then it's just I go blow right into all of my training sessions for the morning. Then I go into my podcast recordings. And then it's like post-production for the podcast recordings. And then evening is some more training sessions. And then usually just spending time with the family. And it's like, that's like on a time loop every day. <laughs> yeah, man. I feel the, feel the same way, except 18 hours of my day every day are, are donut related. Right. Uh, I mean, that has to be crazy for you right now with all the news, man. Man, it just, it never stops. Right. So that's a, a good thing that um, I was a little apprehensive uh, about the news cycle just with the Biden election, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we had a, a crazy Trump ran a Trump-centric news cycle for the past four years. And I was kind of concerned like a lot of that would go away, right? Like there wouldn't be enough news. And I'm realizing it's kind of like stupid, right? (laughs) Because stuff always always happens in the world. And this is awesome, right? Because being in the news business means as long as there's stuff that happens in the world, like we're going to have a business. So, you know, I I like that. Um, But yeah. Do you feel that there has been a more, I don't know, this is just a question, like a more diverse coverage of news since the election, or is it just the same, you think? It's interesting to see. It's gotten a lot more muted, right? So I, and this is anecdotal, but also ties into kind of what we do. I think it's common knowledge that each news source uh, today has an agenda, right? Whether they lean left or lean right. And it's really interesting to see how the tonality of a lot of the mainstream news when covering politics has really gone the opposite way. It's just really interesting for me to see like the, the way some of the stories are spun. A lot of it's in Biden's favor versus, you know, Trump being the, the evil guy and then flip-flopped on the right. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just really interesting to see with this new uh, administration coming in, how the sides just kind of like, revert back to the way it's always been, you know? And that was also a kind of concern of mine is, well, not a concern of mine, right? Because this is ultimately what I want is unity for the country. 
Because there's a lot of, and this was uh, the same kind of like feeling that I personally had in like 08. And um, this most recent election is, is like, okay, you know, uh, the the political conversation is kind of toned down a little bit, right? What's kind of back to the return to normalcy deal. And it's not, man. It's the same thing over and over again. It's the like the virtue signaling um, politically. And then the actions behind the doors are the same as they've always been, right? So there's like this call for unity, call for unity, call for unity that we heard in the Bush years. We heard it in the Obama years. Trump didn't even care to call for unity. And then you had Biden who's calling for unity. But the rub of it is they all on the surface call for it. And then there is still no compromise in the legislature. So I don't think that's going to change at all um, until something happens. But again, it's like, what is going to change? So somebody has to be the bigger person. You know what I mean? And like yeah. step up, like somebody has to take that first step. And I thought it was, I thought it was going to happen with this Robin Hood situation and all of the, the GameStop and like the, the meme stocks and all of that stuff. When you have AOC and Ted Cruz agreeing, but then as soon as Ted Cruz agrees with AOC, she calls him a murderer. Right. So it's like, <laughs> like, like how, how are you going to have unity when that happens, right? Like somebody oh. has to take the first step. And I just don't see any of that happening. Explain this for the listeners uh, about Robin Hood and GameStop, uh, because I think that it's, it's this come, come online, but I'm not sure how many people understand what's actually going on. Yeah, for sure. So GameStop is like a retail-based video game company, essentially. Like it's nostalgic for me. I don't know if growing up um, you were into video games or ever went to a GameStop or yeah. like a video game store, but uh, that stock itself has gone up something like eighteen hundred percent over the past few months. And the reason it's gone up is some folks on Reddit, on Reddit, and specifically in a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, identified that hedge funds held a very large short position in GameStop stock, which effectively meant if they bought a lot of GameStop stock and drove the price of GameStop stock up, they would screw the hedge funds. And that's a lot of where this this price um, kind of, a lot of where this run came from is the screw the hedge funds sentiment. Um, and it actually worked because there was a, a hedge fund called Melvin Capital. It has billions of dollars in assets under management. And in the month of January, they lost 53% of their overall portfolio and hedge funds uh, as a whole, as I'm speaking here now, have lost $70 billion. Wow. Yeah. So the, wow. the And after that, right? So the, the big controversy comes with the restriction of, um, of allowing folks to actually trade, right? So like, and Robinhood, are you familiar with Robinhood? You know what that is? I am familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, it's effectively like democratizing finance. So it gives yep. the layman um, commission-free access to the stock markets. So they can do complex things like margin calls and option puts and stuff like that. And what Robinhood did um, was restricted the trading of certain stocks. There were about 50 or so of them. And when they restricted the stocks, they only allowed people on their platform to sell the stocks, not buy them. So you had individuals who bought GameStop who could sell it, but couldn't buy more. 
so the, the, the concern, a lot of the concern from um, like the Wall Street bets and a lot of just folks in general when it comes to this particular aspect is it feels like or it seems like to a lot of individuals that Wall Street is just like they're not going to lose this. And now that they realize that laymen, like normal individuals, have access to the same amount of information they do and can make the same calls that they do and sometimes even do it better. That's where a lot of the, I think the concern comes from is when you have um, like Robinhood restricting trading and going, hey, uh, we're doing this to protect you, right? And that was kind of how they framed it initially, but now it's coming out that they had to meet their clearinghouse deposit requirements. So effectively the company was insolvent during this period of time. They didn't have the money to actually cover all of the, the trades. But when you have um, a group of individuals who can band together and run up the price on a certain stock, that's where I think where a lot of the concern comes from on the hedge fund side. But what I would say to that is the hedge funds have been doing something similar, right? So what would you call it when someone like Bill Ackman from Pershing Capital um, goes on CNBC around March and says, you know, COVID is a death toll for the U.S. economy, right? And this entire interview is him being like, the economy is going to crash. It's going to go down. Hotel stocks are going to zero, so on and so forth. And come to find out right after that interview, he bought the opposite position in the market. He bought a whole bunch right. of shit in the market. So he's going on CNBC talking about how the market's going to crash. This is a very prominent investor. People listen to what he says. He's very influential. So he goes on CNBC, drums up the fact that the market's going to crash Lo and behold, the market starts to go down after this interview, and he makes billions of dollars off of it. So how is that different? right? And the question is, and this is where a lot of, I think, the lay people frustration is coming from, because this is where my frustration is coming from, is like, how is what Ackman did okay, and how is what the Redditors did not okay? Yeah, it makes sense. And so the legislation aspect, or the Congress people, they agreed on this. and. Is that what happened? And then all of a sudden there is name calling? Yeah. So there was a tweet. Um, AOC put out a tweet, something to the effect of, you know, we want to uh, hold an investigation into Robin Hood. Um, the, I think, I forget the specific committee. It was something that handles like financial services. She's like, I would support a hearing on this. And Ted Cruz retweeted it and pointed to the tweet and was like, yeah, I agree. On, I agree with this. And then right after he did that, that's when AOC... Uh, responded and is like, uh, I won't work together with a murderer, right? Like he tried to kill oh me. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. How do, I mean, I don't know how you work together if it's always this tit for tat or back and forth or accusations of things related to that, you know? So what have you seen like in your coverage of the incoming, the, the Biden administration and the current news um, headlines such as like, vac- let's start a vaccination and what you've heard about that or your coverage of it. Yeah, well, it's there's a lot there, right? And I think the, the first thing um, that we can start with is uh, the Biden widely publicized plan to do 100 million shots in arms in the first 100 days. Um, are you familiar with that? I'm very, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a big um, promise of his. And come to find out that the pace of vaccinations around the time that he set that goal 
was a million, a little over a million shots in arms in a day. So if you do the math, right, it's like you keep doing the same thing and you'll actually beat the goal. So um, that got kind of like rejiggered a little bit. So now I think it's 150 million shots in the arms and 100, don't quote me on that, but I know it went up a little bit. But the point I'm kind of driving at is the vaccinations keep unfolding. Um, There's logistics issues with some of them. But the pace of vaccinations continues to increase, right? Because what you'd expect, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people discuss or even comprehend, is the the inc- how incredible it is that in the span of about a year, we as a society, right, not just the U.S., but also other societies too, achieved something that typically takes 10 years. Right. It's absolutely insane to me. And I'm talking vaccine development because there's the the scientific aspect of it. But the thing that I know a little bit more about is the logistics and distribution. Right. I don't know anything about the science. You ask me about mRNA. I have I have no idea. But when it comes to actually getting these vaccines into people's hands, that's something that I know a, a good deal about. And the logistics push and the sophistication and the intricacy of getting these vaccines to the places that they need to be. Yeah, it hasn't been perfect, but we also have to remember that this is uh, uh, an initiative that started from zero and has gotten hundreds of millions of vaccines already distributed to places that need it. It's incredible, at least to me. Yeah. I, I, I think that I was just talking to my wife about this and talking about like, this is a worldwide global vaccination effort. And while I understand the frustration, believe me, I've had my days of thinking about it. Um, I'm human. I get frustrated like so many people, you know, and, but it's a huge effort. It's a, it's a gargantuan effort to get things done. And, uh, I think it's just there's there's news that comes out of the, so the vaccination is one thing and then there's like the news and the sub news that comes out of vaccination of different states and how states are doing it uh people are for people are, it becomes so you're saying like oh man what about news or there be just I mean there's crazy amount of news just off of one thread of one topic like this you know yeah. And there's just so much that, that goes into it. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of it. And like you said, there's this overarching like vaccine as a topic. And then within this overarching topic is there's so many just sub, uh, like subshoots. And it's not to the, it's not to discount the fact that there have been a lot of hiccups, right? Cause there have been a lot of hiccups. And I know individuals personally who have had a lot of trouble receiving vaccinations, specifically the second dose, um, just cause they can't schedule an appointment um, the, the vials aren't available for actually administra- uh, administration, a, a bunch of various reasons. So it's not to discount that, but the, one of the things that I like to do is just holistically take a step back, right? Because I think with the incredible amount of information that's available to us, sometimes it's really easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day, be like, oh man, like everything sucks, right? It's like, well, it, it kind of doesn't. And when you step back a little bit and you understand that We've been doing this for actually less than a year. I think Operation Warp Speed started in either February or March. So the fact that we went from not having any science about any sort of vaccination for COVID-19 to getting tens of millions of shots in arms across the globe in less than a year, that's freaking crazy, man. 
It is crazy. And to think that one was the first one was had emergency authorization in like mid December ish yeah. around there, Pfizer. Yeah. And where we're as of today, February second. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, and I, I was reading a lot about that situation too. And uh, I think a lot of the reason that Pfizer was the first to it comes from the top. It comes from their CEO. This dude, uh, as soon as they got the like go ahead to start developing the vaccine, mm -hmm. set two goals that the company didn't even get close to hitting. But I think you'll understand why when I explain what those goals are. The first one was they wanted to go through all of the trials and have a vaccine, a working vaccine approved and ready for administration by October. Wow. They started this in, in February or March. The second one was they wanted to have 100 million vaccine doses available by the end of the year. They ended up having 50 million. But just to understand the goals and where the company's working working towards and the the ability of the guy at the top to kind of like push that forward and like drive it forward is it's interesting to me like being in the position that I'm in now on a much 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 smaller scale and knowing what like actually goes into getting an organization united behind a common yeah. goal it's it, man it's just it's really it's like the 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 pinnacle to me of like business um ah, sorry I'm looking for just like business efficiency, right? And, and goal setting is the, the incredible amount of things we were able to accomplish in the span of a year, you know, just yeah. shows me the resilience of humanity and the power of us to innovate our way out of anything that stands in our way, as long as we don't kill ourselves first. Right, right. So do you think from, from what you're reading, you guys are reporting, you know, it seems like we're going to have more vaccine uh, being put into circulation within the next month or so is is there a sense in the reporting that this is going to really hit warp speed uh within the next couple months pardon that and uh really like get into the population more frequently vaccination well i you'd think so right because like just talking about the actual logistics of distribution so a couple of the vaccines require it's hard to train to to transport it right because it has very specific right. temperature requirements so there's a couple vaccines that have those temperature requirements but the process starts at the factory so the vaccine's manufactured then it gets loaded onto trucks those trucks get distributed trucks or airplanes get distributed to wherever it's supposed to go um, as you can imagine when you're starting off an initiative as big as hey we want to deliver seven billion vaccines there's going to be a little bit of a hiccup, right? And there's this the learning curve and there's a learning process. So what you'll actually see in terms of distribution and also administration, if they go hand in hand, is this kind of like exponential growth curve, right? Because like when you're starting out, when you're starting out, when you're starting out, when you're starting out, you're running into all of these hiccups. You're overcoming these obstacles. You're putting in place scalable, repeatable processes, so as those continue to get put in place, like brick by brick by brick by brick, you start to see an increase in delivery of the that vaccine, both like by the trucks and the planes. And also, hopefully, that would be correlated to shots at arms, too. So we're starting to figure this thing out, you know, because like the million, uh, like the million vaccines, shots and arms per day, we didn't start there, right? It yeah. was a tough process to get there. And again, if you look at that curve, I think you'll see what I'm talking about with kind of like that exponential um, kind of like tilt to it. Yeah. 
And I just read this morning that uh, the Biden administration is sending a million uh, vaccines to retail pharmacies directly next week. I mean, I didn't read the article, so I don't know exactly, but that's what it was saying. Was that? Are, are you, did you see that? I haven't seen that, but I know the vaccine distribution plan was left up to the states, which to me makes a little bit more sense, right? Because, like, as the federal government, I don't know how you operate your state. Right? I'm so far removed from any from any component of that process that for me to mandate it across all 50 states that have different processes, that have different needs, that have different populaces, it just doesn't make it's just not scalable. It doesn't make a whole ton of sense. So as far as like delivering the vaccines directly to the pharmacies, I'd be curious to know how the administration is doing that because the administration themselves is not manufacturing the vaccine and they're not transporting yeah. the vaccine. Right? They're they're completely removed from this process. Yes. So yes. so maybe they're like directing the vaccine manufacturers like hey, you know, we think this is going to be better. I don't know, but those would be some of the questions that I'd have. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're like you said, you're learning, right? You're trying to figure out what's the best, it's tactics, you know, right. and getting it into, as you spread it around. I mean, I see like as more and more facilities start to be enrollment places for the vaccination, you, you start to get this spread of more places that are available to offer the vaccine. Now you got to start having the actual supply, enough supply for this. It's kind of supply and demand issues going on right now. Yeah. Hey, I geek out over this shit, man. It's like business, right? It's exactly yeah, right. It's supply and demand. It's yeah, <laughs> exactly what it is. And one of the things that I actually I also saw recently too, and I haven't done a whole lot of checking on this, so maybe I shouldn't even bring it up, but it's interesting to me to talk about, um, is the fact that we don't know. Well, I don't know if it's a fact, but I heard that we don't know that receiving the vaccine means you're not able to transmit it to somebody else. Right. So with that. We would want to, and like we talk about like the vaccine distribution, right? So if we know that, or if that is actually the case, then how do we prioritize vaccinating the people that are most at risk, right? Because that to me would be number one, right? Because if you go, well, want to get vaccinated to stop the transmission is another thing versus we need to get vaccinated to stop you from dying, right? So the vaccinating to stop you from dying to me goes to the top of the list, be it somebody with like a comorbidity, like obesity or diabetes, or if you're 65 plus, you know, whatever it is like that to me is interesting because there, I know there's a lot of conflict around like who gets the vaccine first. Yeah. There's another news, right? <laughs> news yeah. <topic. laughs> hey it's man, a rabbit it's hole all, of news, you know, <laughs> it's all, it's all connected and I live in it all day, every day. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I'm actually starting and I was, I'm excited to chat with you about this. Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit away from the actual creation of the news itself and more onto the more like, conceptual like societal problems and issues it's like the initial issue that you and i were talking about the um the tangible divisiveness that just kind of like permeates the country figuring out how to both solve that and execute on how to solve that has been what i've been really focused on for the past like four months or so and i really think we've kind of landed on something um that that will succeed and then we'll see a lot of success. So what what's that conclusion? What have you deciphered from it? 
Yeah, for sure. So like I was saying, uh, somebody has to take the first step, right? Yeah. And to back up a little bit, I think we'll have to talk about how we got into this tangible divisiveness because it wasn't always this way. Um, I remember growing up, you know, it didn't matter what your politics were. Like that wasn't even something that crossed my mind or the people around my mind, right? You were friends with Democrats, Democrats were friends with Republicans, so on and so forth. So we need to get back to that. But the reason we haven't, uh, we've gone the opposite direction has been to me, the incentive structure of both politicians, uh, the media, and also the explosion of the internet and the exposure to all types of different niches and information. So if that is the case, which it is, like if you look at, um, so Pew, are you familiar with the Pew Research Center? I am. Yeah, they've done a whole bunch of studies on this and they have a really cool graphic that shows um, visually the extent of the polarization and how it kind of occurred from 1984 to like 2010. And what you see in 84 is the Democrats and Republicans are really close together, right? Like the arguments are more on tax policy than fundamental arguments about the future of the country. And then as you get um, towards closer and closer towards the 2010, specifically after like 2000, you see this crazy acceleration of this uh, partisanship. And to me, a lot of that comes from the incentive structure of the internet, because now we're all competing for attention, right? And what drives attention? Well, we didn't, maybe we knew this before, but now it's explicitly clear that outrage drives attention, that negative emotions like fear also drive attention. They drive more attention and more engagement than these positive aspects, So as you continue to see the evolution of the social media platforms, as well as media, like we can focus on media for a second here now, media wasn't always this like clickbait, sensationalist, divisive entity, right? Like back in the 60s, there there was like a, a gatekeeper for information. And it was like your CBS, NBC, ABC, and that's where you got all of your news. And now as there's more and more news sources and you're competing for more and more and more and more attention, right? What drives the attention? What drives the clicks? Well, it's the outrage. And if you get clicks, then that goes back into your economic incentive structure too, right? So as a business, as a media business, you're literally incentivized to do the most divisive things possible, right? right? And really speak specifically to a niche, dig that niche all the way in, rile those people up, and then you're going to make your advertising money, right? You also see the same thing on Facebook. You also see the same thing on all of these other social media entities. What they're designed to do is keep you in so they can continue to serve you ads. But what they found out is keeping you in is making you angry as possible, right? And to make you angry as possible, <laughs> exactly. it's like an us versus them mentality, right? It like taps into the tribalism. So you have an us versus them mentality. It's hard to overcome. Like it's very hard to overcome. So where we're at right now, at least in my mind, can only over be can only be overcome with one thing, or actually two things. One of the things would be to just constrict speech, right? And say, you know what, you're only allowed to say X, Y, and Z. That's it. Right. I don't like that. Right. I'm not a big fan of that. I don't like government overreach. I do not like people telling me what to do, specifically an entity that I have no recourse against. The alternative is to put it back onto people and say, I trust you to make the right decisions for your life. If I give you access and teach you how to critically think and assess online information, 
so you can make your own decisions, again, using the critical thinking tools and all of the, the arrows in your quiver that help you assess whether something's real or not, whether the article itself is slanted one way or the other. Being able to assess all of these inputs and then come out with your own conclusion is literally the only way we're going to get out of this without over-legislation. How, how does that happen? I'm just curious on how people make those decisions. Like what's the training tools or the uh, instructions for them to accurately do that? Right. And that's what we're going to start building. Um, so we're, mm. we've started to see a little bit of an explosion in schools. Um, we're at the donut. The teachers and students are like using our newsletter in the classroom to help teach like reading comprehension, media literacy, how to have productive conversations with people you disagree with, civics lessons even, right? Like this is how the U.S. government works. Yeah. So we're really leaning into that and creating a lot of these digital literacy and media literacy tools and resources that will help people um, do exactly what I was just talking about previously. But the way that we actually get to a tipping point and get to, to where this actually has any sort of impact is when people start to recognize that this is the only way out alternative to over-legislation. And I think that's starting to become a sentiment that's making its way more and more and more and more into the mainstream, right? And I'm reading a, a ton on this. Um, and there was a bunch of papers that were published. I think it was like 81 papers from like 56 different research institutions. And a majority of them um, assessing the, the problem that you and I have just been talking about, like the divisiveness in society and the misinformation online and like, how do we overcome this? Most of those proposals, those research-based proposals, were like, we have to give people digital literacy tools. Like, it, it's not a, you know, we can do this anymore. It's like, a, we have to do this now. So a lot of the articles I've been reading have been asking the same question you have, right? Is like, who is the one that puts this together? Where can I learn this type of stuff? How do we actually get this knowledge and information into the hands of the populace? And I think it just it's just time as it is with everything, man. It's just time yeah. to, for these things to build up and build up and build up and reach a tipping point. And then once it reaches that tipping point, it's general consensus and is widely accepted. But we still have some ways to go. Yeah. Is part of this, um, this sounds kind of weird coming out of my mouth, but it's kind of like, it feels like it's like, duh, like, how do you not know this? But it's kind of where we're at, it feels like. Is part of this providing digital literacy in the sense of like, hey, this is not true information. Like this is what this looks like. This is this is false. And this is concrete whatever you want peer reviewed research is this is that part of that? Um it could be, but backing up a little bit. Um it would be giving you the tools to identify that on your own. So for instance, like if you you run across a social media post that makes you angry, right? It makes you so angry. You look at it and you're like Oh, these motherfuckers. Right, right, right. right. Just step back, right? Process it and then do a quick little Google search. So if you do a quick little Google, Google search, typically what you'll find is that piece of content was either taken out of context or very specifically spun to make you angry. So what we're teaching people is don't let them win. You are the one that needs to win. Right. So giving people the tools and the ability to assess when something seems crazy sensationalist and makes them so angry. It's like, well, it's probably not the God honest truth. 
So take yeah. 30 seconds and try and figure out what is the God honest truth. Because I'm telling you, man, 99 times out of 100, 30 seconds worth of Google searching, you go, my God, these motherfuckers. Like right. these, these guys are like, this has to, it's either they're stupid or they're deliberately taking this out of context to make me angry. Yeah. Right. How does that get into, like you said, in the general populace? I know I got all these questions. I'm all like, okay, I'm totally into this. But uh, so I see it like in a school environment and you say, oh, schools get interested. And I think it's interesting, like if you're having, let's say this curriculum of this and you're teaching it to um, youth all the way up through the grade levels. So you have somebody who comes out of, let's say, high school or college, they're armed with a tremendous amount of knowledge and savviness to know, okay, I need to step back, or this is clearly not um, a truthful thing. But what about people who have just been in the population? They're they're my age, in their forties. They're not in school anymore. They're fifty. They're sixties. You're just read, read, reading through. What's the education for them? That's a phenomenal question because that's where a lot of the spread of misinformation comes yes. from. Yes, because uh, you'll see what you see is like Gen Z and millennials, like individuals who have been exposed to the internet for all of their lives. Like this isn't something new to them; they've just been exposed to it all their lives. They inherently have a lot of the skills that we'd be teaching, right? We just Correct. own those. Whereas somebody like you were talking about, like yourself, or I'll use my parents as an example, right? Because I think you're more tech savvy than my parents. My parents. Like, thought the internet was a fad, right? When it came around. So they're just learning and just figuring out like, oh, I can go on Facebook and get news. Like, that's really cool. And the, that thing we used to joke about, I don't know if you used to joke about it as well, but like, oh, I saw it on the internet. It must be true. Yeah. Right? Like, that's kind of, they think the opposite of that, right? It's like, oh, I saw it. Like this one Facebook account, put it on the internet. It has to be true. Right. So like they're doing the same thing or they're trying to overcome the same challenges that like I personally did when I first got exposed to the internet as well. So it all comes back to me is just like time and willingness to learn. Cause if you're not willing to learn and if you're so like entrenched and dug into your position that you're not going to change, you're not even going to listen to anybody else. It's kind of tough, right? It's, it's very tough. Yeah. But I would say the only way to get through is just continued um, exposure to, I don't want to say correct information because like that's subjective a lot of the time, but continued exposure to like, Hey, uh, you should learn about this. Hey, you should learn about this. Or for my mother, for instance, my mom sends me a lot of, um, of sites that have questionable factual content on them. Uh -huh. So every time sure. she sends this to me, I go through this article and I extract all of the stuff that's true. And then I point out to her what's not true and where she can find out what is true. Right. So as I've continued to do that, she's gone like, Oh, maybe I can't really like blindly trust the site anymore. And I need to be on the lookout for, you know, somebody trying to pull one over on me or like, I need to understand the actual digital media incentive structure. Right. So like it's, it just took time to get there, but she's getting there. Right. And that's, that's kind of what, I'm passionate about is giving people the tools to be like a superhero in their own life. And that to me is a lot of what the, like the critical thinking, digital literacy, that's what that does is it gives you the ability to be like a, a human robot and like really quickly assess information and then apply that information to your life. Um, Cause if you apply that information and knowledge to your life, it's only going to get better, man. Could you see it? Oh, man. I mean, you, you're making me like explode with ideas about, 
questions for this. And I think a very different way of thinking. So could you see, uh, how do I want to say this? A time where, okay, right now I'm in front of my computer and let's say I'm searching something about something that's controversial, whatever, whatever is controversial in the world. And I have something on my computer that when I search that thing, it says, um, this information may not be true. Here, look up this. Yeah, I don't know how I want to explain this, but like it automatically pops that out to you. Like, hey, this is this is not this is potentially false information. I, I don't know. Because I'm thinking like, yes, there's a time element, but is there a way? We've used technology to solve a lot of things. There's a way to use technology in our searching to say, instead of just like Twitter or something saying, hey, this may not be. This is this could be partly false. Is there is there a thing maybe through search engines or somebody saying like, hey, you've brought this information up. I'm just telling you this may not be true. You know, move forward at your own risk type of thing. You know? The the biggest question there would be who determines what's true and what's not. Right, but but that becomes really weird though, because then it's kind of like if you can't agree on what is actually true, then what are you going to agree on? About right. It. I mean, like, or, if you can't, if you don't believe that people landed on the moon, like you don't believe that, that's not true. But then we all these other people say, yeah, that's true. How, if you can't ever agree that the that that happened or that two plus two equals four, somebody goes, no, it's actually five. Like, yeah. what? Well, I mean, you could dispute that, but even though people are like, that's crazy, you know? Yeah. Well, and so I mean, if we're talking about stuff stuff like that, like flat Earth and you know things of that nature, yeah. I mean, it, sure, but like it's still to me kind of like a slippery slope, isn't it? Right? Because like if you start there, where's the line, and like where do you stop? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I just, I'm just, I'm thinking of like, it. It sounds good that a bunch of people will will say, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get like you're talking to your mom. That's great. Like I do stuff like that too. I just wonder how many people are actually willing to do that and actually I mean, have those conversations. You know. Yeah, man, it's it. It's not a whole lot of people, right? And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but it's uh, to me, that's a lot of like the the echo chamber aspect, yeah. right? It's like we've been so used to just like um, to use a, a Gen Z term, like simping or standing for somebody that simping. Um, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like um, it's like when you have a crush on somebody, or like oh you really gosh. like somebody. It's like ah, I'm not hip. <laughs> Man, I yeah, I uh, I I get a lot of exposure to that just because of our the audience that we serve. Mm. Um, but uh, where where I was going, gosh, I totally forgot where I was going with that. I was just simping, you know, like uh, uh, Gen Z, and you're connecting with them. Um, yeah, man, I, I totally, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely, okay. I blew that. I interrupted you on it, but I'm sorry. I was just no. like, what does that mean? I'm like simping. I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I I do this a lot now. It's like where I kind of get off track, or like my brain is so cognitive, meaning like it's very linear. Like it's uh, yeah, it's, it's if this happens, then that happens. If that happens, and so on and so forth. And if there's anything that breaks that chain of reasoning for me, it's like yeah, just out the window. Well, you know, so what I was kind of going on, it's like I was, it, it's just you know, kind of a spirited debate about it in a sense of like. It's very difficult if we can't agree on some truths of things. When you have people denying that um, mass shooting victims, like that didn't happen. Right. Like, I guess you can, uh, people can, you know, search and 
be in echo chambers to believe that didn't happen. But it's like, it is a slippery slope. Do you have something that says, hey, you're free to search this stuff. But I mean, this did, I don't know this, you know what I mean? It's weird. Yeah. Like to, to say, yeah. it, don't worry about it. It's fine. If you think it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Okay. You know, like, I don't know. Well, well let me ask you a question. If you watched a flat earth video, would you start to believe the earth is flat? If I watched it? Yeah. Like you. No, uh, definitely not. Right. So I guess it gets kind of difficult, right? It gets kind of tough to be like, you know, I know better than everybody else. So this type of content shouldn't be available. Yeah. Right. Right. Especially like when me, myself, like I look at that and I go, I know space is real. If I watch, <laughs> a, if I watch a video about how the moon landing is fake, it's like, I'm not going to believe it. No. But, you know, it's, it's there. It's still out there. And like, yeah, sure. There are people that are like susceptible to those types of theories and, and things like that. But in terms of, again, stepping back holistically, like there's 7 billion people in the world. I don't know how many people believe the earth is flat, but I imagine it's like single digit millions, if not. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting because do you, but do you also, do you say, Hey, if somebody believes the earth is flat, I mean, I don't know. Is that hurting anybody? I, I don't know. I mean, is it? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> probably not. They're just probably like in some weird thing. You know, I mean, there's people who believe witches are around. Fine. If you want to have a festival and, you know, do a thing, awesome. Go for it. But is there a line drawn when you're you're saying something didn't happen that is incredibly painful for other people or that it is potentially, and you can see this becomes another hole is like, can cause incitement. You know, I understand the actual eminent incitement and all that and the whole legality, the law behind it. But, you know, certain things like that. Hey, if you believe there's lizard people, fine, whatever. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's fucking nuts to me. But I, if you want to believe that, that's fine. Uh, but when it starts to actually hurt people, like it's really hurt. I don't know. Like, where does, where's the line on that? I mean, well, for, first off, man, the lizards are real. You know, you don't know that lizards are real, but I don't. I'm pretty sure they're not coming from, uh, you know, Kepler twenty two. <laughs> and this they, isn't yeah. the movie V, man. <laughs> yeah, man, they, the, the lizard people run the world, right? Yeah, <laughs> but like yeah, that, that whole PizzaGate thing is so crazy yeah. to me. I'm like, see, that's that it led to like weirdness, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the tough part, right? And that's the, to me, the most exciting questions of our time that I don't think anybody's figured out. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't see the perfect answer because I don't think the perfect yeah. answer out there exists, right? The, whatever you choose, there's going to be some sort of compromise, right? Like the perfect solution yeah. really does not exist. So like what it would come down to, at least for me, would be priorities, right? And my number one priority is to stop the overreach of power, right? Because personally, I've, I, I'm not a major fan of government intervention in my daily life. And I know the more and more things we give up to the government, mm-hmm. they don't have an incentive to return the power back to us. In I fact, agree with you, actually. The opposite, right? So like the Patriot Act would be a great example, like a mm-hmm. perfect example of that. Because there yes. was actually an expiration date on it. But guess what? That expiration date got extended. And it is still in effect today. In fact, it's increased. The Patriot Act has actually expanded. It hasn't gone away at all. And it was supposed to go away when it was implemented. So that, to me, is a great example of if we give the government, if we give people who enforce rules and orders literally, at, by definition, at the barrel of a gun, 
I'm not a major fan of giving them more power. Right. At some point, right? And I might agree with everything that they do now, but at some point, my enemy is going to, well, if I consider the political, uh, other political party the enemy, right? Which is like the right. process today. But like if my enemy is in power, they have the same ability to restrict whatever the hell they want to, but it's going to be on their agenda, not on mine. So I'm going to be beholden to the same things that I beheld other people to. Right? So it's like, that to me is why I want more power in the hands of people and less power in the hands of institutions. Yeah. I actually have had several people on my podcast who've, I think they've, sh- you know, shared similar views, you know, altered here and there. But like I had a guy on that has been in uh, AI for like 30 years, like real big guy in it. And, you know, he said, you know, the the advances in AI will never come from or disruption will come from big government or from the massive companies that are in it. It will come from more the people, the inventors, the smaller people challenging the systems to grow for that. And I was like, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. I could, I could get on board with that, you know, but I feel like with news is such a weird time for news. Like in what you're doing seems like I love what you're doing, but you're like a crazy thing, man. <laughs> you're like a because you're like covering the craziest stuff. And like and it's all like before when I was growing up, news was like, you know, eh, you know, with some there were some interesting things here, some interesting things there. You know, I remember a time when the TV actually didn't play any news after a certain time. You know, it would just really? shut off. Yeah, I remember that. And my and it was that was very, very little. And then when my parents, that was normal for them. Like, you know, the American flag would play on the TV and there would be no more news. When I lived in Germany, it was like that. At some point, when you watched American Armed Forces TV, the TV would stop playing programming and would just play the American flag. And then it would do this big sweep over of every state pictures of every state in the American flag. And that would go on all night long. There was no option to look at anything. And sometimes, Peter, this is going to sound very controversial to me, but sometimes I wish we were kind of like Ready Player One at the end of the movie (laughs) when they just banned the internet for like two, uh, banned the Oasis for two days a week. Sometimes I think that's what we need. We need to just not be plugged into the Matrix all the time, you know? I mean, you're preaching to the choir here, man. Like, I'm a It's okay if you don't have the internet for a day or two. Yeah, like I'm, I'm a big believer in like getting away from just the the repetitiveness of daily life, right? Like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And also, like the well, after watching the social dilemma, man. Yes. The power that my phone. I don't like things having power over me if it hasn't been clear. Yes. Before. And like the power that my phone has over me is incredible. Like it's the thing I'm the most addicted to. Over all people. Over all people, Peter. If you're if you're actually honest with yourself, it controls most humans. That it just does. Yeah. Best part of my day, by the way, is when I could put it away for an hour uh, at like 11 p.m. at night, and I'm done with work and all of that stuff. It's the absolute best part of my day. And all Saturdays, I do not look at that damn thing. That damn thing is in a drawer, and it is locked away. Because uh, man, it's, I just don't like what it does to me. And then even when when I'm bored, like I was in line at Chipotle earlier today. And I didn't have my phone. I left it in the car and the line took like 10 or so minutes to go through. 
And in the grand scheme of things, 10 minutes isn't shit, no big right? deal. It's not a big deal at all. And like, it's, it's, I love being present. I've been trying to be more present in moments, right. And like observe what's going on around me and actually like live life instead of just like feel like a passerby in my own life. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that today in Chipotle and I'm going, man, I just have this like phantom buzzing going on in my pocket. And like every yeah. couple of minutes, I like, I look at my pocket and I want to pull out my phone and it's not like I have any alerts and it's not like anybody's trying to get a hold of me. It's just like, I don't know what to do with myself. And it's just automatic. Boom. Open that thing, hit that slot machine, get that buzz. And then I'm, I'm good. But then next thing I know, it's like a half hour has gone by and I'm, I'm deep into TikTok. It's like, man, <laughs> like, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like i start it's like i start somewhere man and i just don't know how i end up and like i look up and two hours is gone i was like what the like what did i just do you're a drug addict you're a drug yeah, addict right? everybody's a drug addict on this everybody i just got in this big conversation about like drugs and controlled drug use and i'm about to read this book uh, drug use for grown-ups by dr carl hart and i think his ideas about it is very interesting to me and um and I had a person who was challenging me about this. I said, well, you're looking at all these drugs like drug drugs, right? But, you know, your phone is a drug, too. And mm -hmm. guess what? Some people eating is a drug for them. And for people who exercise regularly and that ser the serotonin and dopamine works better as a drug when you're fitter, that's a drug. I'm like, what are we arguing here? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, what's, what's your thought process on like, so like yesterday, um, the law decriminalizing all drugs went into effect in Oregon. Like yeah. what, what is your, uh, what is your kind of take on it? I'm actually, uh, I've really thought about this and I, th I think it's probably a good thing. I honestly do. I really think that, um, I've always questioned, um, kind of this lumping in of drugs yeah. that we do. We just lump in all these drugs and we go off of what we learned, the D.A.R.E. program and all this stuff. And we don't really take a very close view of like what these drugs actually are. And, 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 and understanding that to, to my knowledge, I could be completely wrong. The war on drugs has failed miserably. I mean, at some point when you fail something a bunch of times, don't you try to do something different? I mean, it's like... If you're not insane. That's a definition. Yeah. Don't you try other options? Have you ever failed at something and go, you know what? I failed at that. I want to do the exact same thing and fail again. Let's just keep <laughs> failing. You know, like that makes me feel good to fail at the same thing over and over. Who wants that? Like, unless you're just nuts. Like, it's crazy. So... I think it's good. There are other places I know in the world have done this. Apparently, like Spain and different places I've heard of, um, Portugal. And uh, it seems that there has been some good um, statistics and reporting from these things. But I also think Oregon, the West Coast, California is always ahead on this stuff in the United States. And uh, Oregon, while, uh, hey, listen, Oregon, I love you. I wouldn't want to live there, but hey, it's not for me. <laughs> but it's like, hey, I think I love the approach. And from what I've heard is Washington's next on that yeah. with psilocybin. And then, and then California is next after that in 2024. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think I think actually think it's a good thing because what I heard about it was that they're decriminalizing it, but also spending a lot of money in recovery programs. Exactly. Right. That's the that's the one two punch: recovery, information, stop making people, uh, you know, putting people into jail for very, you know, why are people in jail for weed? Seriously, Bro, I mean, I I don't have a good answer to that. That's crazy to me. That's yeah. crazy to me. Why are people? Why would somebody go to jail for for psilocybin? The psilocybin or weed are less toxic, way less toxic than alcohol, and cigarettes are legal. That's crazy to me. That's <laughs> what I was gonna say. It was like the that's unbelievable. I can't reconcile that in my head, right? Because to me, again, holistic view. Let's go back and let's ask ourselves why, right? So why are all these drugs Schedule One? Why are they legal? Yeah. What's the whole point of that? And I still cannot reconcile in my head. The fact that um, alcohol is a drug is also addictive. Can you literally can go to the store? You can go to the liquor store right after we get off the call, buy two fifths of alcohol, drink them, and kill yourself. Right? You could kill that's, yourself. That's legal. Tobacco is also legal, right? We know it causes directly causes lung cancer and a whole bunch of other health issues. Mm-hmm. But we arbitrarily say that all of these other drugs are bad. But we we deem societally that these two are good, and I just don't understand where that comes from. It's crazy to me. And if it's controlled, what the scheduling is controlled by the federal government, correct? Yeah, like how? So that's crazy. Schedule one drug. It's on the same level as heroin and cocaine and meth. That's crazy. Like say again, that's where the government, like governments, deciding that that's an offense for you to go to jail. To have like this is crazy to me. I mean, like if you actually no- have knowledge about these drugs, you would understand. Like you just said, you can go and get a bunch of alcohol, kill yourself, blah blah blah. You can smoke a ton of cigarettes, slowly kill yourself, or you can. You the amount of weed you'd have to ingest to die is ungodly. The amount can, it's can like you? not even possible. Yeah, I was <laughs> it's <just> like. <laughs> I don't think it's like I've, I I keep hearing that it's not possible. I don't right? even it's think like, it's possible. Like, yeah, I that's find, bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of find that a little hard to believe, right? Because like, two, I do there too. Has, there has to be a point, right? And I don't know where, <laughs> it is, but there like has to be a point where you're like, yeah, you know, I can't take any more weed, right? But like, I, I mean, but it's hard though. Like, apparently, yeah. it's like, it's like climbing. You like Everest. It's like incredibly difficult. Where it's not that hard for these other things. No. So, wh- where is the? I just think that we should be open minded about researching these things, questioning them. Is is this actually what the government's been telling me? I don't want to sound like some crazy conspiracy guy. That I never see myself that way, and I, I hope I'm not because I think that's nutsy. But I do think that it's okay to be skeptical about those things yeah and it's and, not conspiratorial to do your research either man yeah like, i'm just like, looking stuff up yeah and, <laughs> like, and again right like the fact that the government lies to us that is proven right you that's back, true you, though <laughs> right like so again like, but the skeptic your skepticism is warranted right and it's not like you're just pulling this out of your ass you're like right you know what? i have i've thought about this before i have the reasons why i believe this and you know i'm going to die on that hill and like i'm with you man yeah to me, this decriminalization aspect goes back to what I was talking about. It takes power out of the hands of the federal government and puts yes. it into the hands of the actual people. So, like as an adult, I never understood other adults saying, "You know what? 
Darian, this is not good for you. So you probably shouldn't be able to put this in your body. It's like, yeah. who the fuck are you to tell me that? Exactly. You know, eating a bunch of cake is not great for you either. But I mean, nobody's stopping people from eating gobs of cake at parties and stuff. I mean, it's like, you know. And that's a question that I had actually with a lot of the mask mandates, right? Is like, I haven't heard a good definition of why <laughs> mandates are necessary going back to like, this is a public health emergency. So, okay, what's the definition of a public health emergency? How else can this public health emergency be applied? So on and so forth. One of the things that I get a little apprehensive about, again, like government overreach and government power, while it may be good now, right? And potentially, you know, it is good now. What about later? So if you mandate masks for COVID-19 because you declare COVID-19 a public health emergency, COVID-19 has killed 400,000 or so Americans the past year. If we classify COVID as a public health emergency because it killed 400,000 people, why is heart disease not a public health emergency? Yeah. Why is obesity not a public health emergency? Oh my, don't get me started, man. and and (laughs) And then if we declare that both of those are public health emergencies, can we restrict food consumption because it's not good for you? Mm. Well, isn't there's a chained linked effect with a lot of these things that I think one of the things I have been in, especially in the health and wellness community, and I feel like it doesn't get a lot of news coverage, is that um, when you look deeper into it, the United States is a very unhealthy country, <laughs> completely unhealthy. Like it's actually nasty how unhealthy we are. I'm not. I'm not saying like, hey, you know, this person's this. I'm just saying overall, the thirty thousand square foot view is we are incredibly bad conditioned country, incredibly, and that poor physical and condition, poor mentally, mental capabilities, all these things are a huge contributor to a lot of the devastation that's happened. Yeah. Well, but we I'm, don't want to focus on it. Amen, dude. Like you and I Why don't we are, talk about this? You and I are so aligned here, right? It's like so I'm I'm on the CDC website right now just to kind of drive home the prevalence of obesity. As of June 2020, 40% of young adults 20 to 39 mm-hmm. were obese. 45%. That's crazy. <laughs> it gets worse. 45% for um, middle-aged adults, 40 to 59, 43% 60 and older. So more than 40% of the population, adult population, is obese in the United States. One out of every two, almost one out of every two people. Yep. It's actually insane. <clears throat> and if you add in overweight with that, that number jumps to like, six, I believe, 60 plus percent of our population. These... This is devastating news, devastating news. And unfortunately, it's almost a runaway train at this point. It's going downhill. And I, I, Peter, I've had tons of people who are in every aspect of the health and wellness business on my show, conversations. None of them can tell me how to stop it. I, I don't know. I mean, none of them can tell me why. 15 to 18% of the population doesn't exercise regularly, uh, exercises regularly, and why that number has not changed in the past 30 to 40 years, and what we can do about it. Do you think we maybe have a crisis of purpose? I haven't heard about it. I haven't thought about it that way. Add a little more to that. What do you mean? Like, yeah, so um, a lot of, you know, and this this isn't a fully fleshed out thought, so this might be a little rough. 
But um, we've started to see, just in America specifically, a decrease in um, religious participation. Right, mm-hmm. uh, as a country, we've gone more secular. And say what you will about religion. I grew up in an extraordinarily um, uh, religious household, and uh, religion, to me, does a very, very, very good job of providing you with moral guidelines and how to live Agreed. a productive life. Right. It's also, to me, a way for human beings to explain and have some sense of certainty amidst mm-hmm. all of the freaking <clears throat> chaos that is the yes. world, right? It's like you have all of these things that constantly change that you can't control, but like this is one thing that you are 1,000% certain yes. about. So as, you know, as I'm kind of thinking about this crisis of purpose, religion gave you purpose, right? Because the goal of life is to follow whatever the doctrine is to get to heaven or, you know, wherever. So that was the purpose of your life. If you don't have that purpose in your life, right, you go a little secular. A lot of times, and I, I've gone through this personally myself, you feel like a, a, a rowboat in the middle of the ocean, right? And you yeah. buffeted <clears throat> every which way. You have no sense of self. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you want. You don't even know what to do to get to you know whatever you yeah. want if you can figure out what it is. So like when I say the crisis of purpose, like to me, a lot of times, if you're in that scenario, it's just easier to give up, right? Yes. I actually, <clears throat> you just mentioned something I hadn't thought about in that vein, but I would say I've had conversations that have, like I talked to my wife about this stuff a lot. <clears throat> we are both have been uh, lifelong Christians, and uh, but we're very honest in the sense that we grew up in very, um, in Christian-based households where we were presented it in a very boring, very um, not interesting way. I don't know how else to say it. It just was like lame. <clears throat> Honestly, it was. But yeah. it did give me some backbone towards it, you know? And and then when I got to college, I, I was like, you know what? I'm not that into this. I didn't renounce it or anything, but I just was not. I, I, I was rudderless. And I was making a lot of bad decisions because I was rudderless. Yeah. And then I decided when I was like 23... I need to get back into this. I need to do this for my own decision. And I ended up joining a church which changed my whole outlook on how religion is presented to people in a more very relevant, every person type of way, personal relationship. And I've never gone back and my faith has never been stronger. But I also know that a lot of people are presented it in a way that's not great. Right. Well, I think, I think you just gave the answer to how we get out of it. Right. Cause and again, it's, it's a shitty answer. Right. But it's like, yeah, life is not that complicated. Like people try to make life too complicated. It's not that complicated. <laughs> it's very simple. Like if you want to change, you will change. Yeah. That's it. Right. Like you, you just, you just said you were rudderless. You didn't like the way your life was going. I didn't you like it. How your life was. So you're like, yeah. fuck this. I, Darian Parker, I'm going to make a change. And you did. Yeah. And that's to me the only way that the only way that change happens is like I I can't do it for you I can't right you need I can help yeah. you I can provide you the same way with the digital literacy stuff I can provide you with the tools that's true right? you need to apply them to your life I can't do it for you and if you don't want to <clears> do it I can't force you to do it and I'm not going to right to do it right so going back to again like education and then trusting people like trusting humanity to make the right decisions to benefit you know themselves and those around them. 
Well, the crisis of purpose, I think, is really it's hitting me hard. Yeah. This when you because all of a sudden in my mind, it makes more things clear. Like I see, like in health and wellness, we've seen this massive explosion in people, self care, and spirituality. Right. Massive. All of a sudden, every people are into yoga or they're into meditation. And I've had so many people who are into that. And all of a sudden, they've, the world has become awakened to these ancient traditions of things. And in many ways, sometimes I ask myself a question is, is it just spirituality? You're trying to kind of put your arm out and go, I, I do want spirituality, but I don't want it in the form of this organized thing. But really, it do you realize it's just one form of it? it Religion is in a form of, ex, it's a form, an expression of spirituality. It's one expression of spirituality. And it's, it's important to a lot of people. It's important to me. And, but humans generally, I think, want spirituality. They do. Yeah. I think, and uh, as a whole, they want it in a, whatever format that is, they want it. And I think the crisis of purposes is when you literally deny yourself of any spirituality, any meaning associated with life, that's when, you're, that's when your life is going down the tubes big time. I yeah. think. It's like, what, 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 what reason do you have to get out of bed in the morning? If that's Right. What am I doing then? You know, like you literally don't. You just waste time. You just waste time and you waste You're space. wasting time. <laughs> yeah. And so I see, like, think about, I think you guys covered, like, you you mentioned, like, people with QAnon and stuff. You know, obviously, you, you cover the news. Like, I, you know, I think a lot, they're bad shit crazy to me. But I think that a lot of that, the underpinnings is just wanting to have meaning in life, wanting to have somebody to have some allegiance to something and to have community. That sounds a lot like religion to me. Well, it's it's, right, it's a battle. It's the good versus evil battle, right? Yeah. You're on the side of good, which is the same exact right. thing. Like I grew up Catholic, right? So that was yeah. the thing I was taught too. It's God, Jesus, Holy Spirit versus right. the devil. And the devil is always going to be battling God who's on the side of good, right? It's this eternal battle of good versus evil. Yeah. And it's like being able to believe that your life has, a, like you said, your life has a deeper meaning. It has a purpose. I'm on the side of good. Right. So yeah. everything that I do, I'm making the world a better place. And I'm fighting this, this nameless, faceless, evil lizard people. Right. Like it, it's so, <laughs> it just gives you a purpose. Right. It gives you a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And then you find other like minded people who feel and think and um, want to do the same things that you do. And you have the ability with the internet to now congregate and make stuff happen. It's like it is a slippery slope, but a lot of yeah. the initial entry into it is fear-based. It's all fear-based. It's right? fear-based. Which again goes back to knowing uh, the correct information and understanding whose agenda is what and who's trying to tell you this and who's trying to get you to believe that and what incentive they have. It's exhausting. It really is. I, I get that. But like, I don't see any other way to combat it. I just don't. Yeah. It's, it's really a tough thing. And kind of jumping back, I kind of went far over, but jumping back into like, you know, we're talking about obesity and those things. I'm trying to realize, say, you know what? I've been in this business for such a long time. Why don't I know this? Why, why, we need to really figure this out. Why isn't this being covered and all the thing? Because I truly believe that obesity is, it's just a slow moving pandemic. It's an iceberg. You know, it's, it's a glacier. It, 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 people see it and they say, oh, that glacier is not moving that much. How, they say these glaciers move every year. Do that. Um, yeah, that's obesity. It's just a slow-moving uh, pandemic. It's not like COVID-19 whatever. But 
when you start understanding the biological and anthropological history of humans, obesity in our current time makes a lot of sense in the sense of why it's happening. Because anthropologically, humans are conservation machines. Mm. We only give our calories to generally things that we need to survive, we need to hunt, we need to gather, and we need to reproduce, generally speaking. Once the, the strange irony is that technology has made our lives better, but has completely obliterated our calorie requirements for those other things for that. And so now obesity is a byproduct of making life easier for us. We have overridden our biological imperative, which is to be active, constantly doing things that sustain us and survive us. So now we present people with what I do for exercise, structured activity, and people go, I don't want to do that. I know why they don't want to do that now, because you were never meant to do that. You never meant to do what we're doing today. But the strange aspect is that it's our own fault because we've made our lives so much easier. We have eliminated our biological instinct to do those things I discussed. So it's a trade-off. You can't have this life full of uh, opulence and easiness without something, with give, without giving something up. And what we gave up was our natural ability to run, hunt, survive, um, crawl, dig for things. We, we have DoorDash for that. We have Uber Eats for that. Why do you need to cook anymore? When you, why do you need to hunt? So if you understand the biological nature of it, obesity makes sense. The problem is that we're not doing anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, like, we're just saying, okay, well, let's throw some weird new age exercise stuff at people. But the marketing of it is like, all to fit people. The marketing of exercise is to people for like me. It markets to people like me who've been fit their entire life. It has nothing to do. The marketing for exercise should be, I know you don't want to do this. I understand it because you were never meant to do this version of it. But you have to because of how we've constructed our society. That message is not being put out there at no. all. That's really interesting. So do you think society and pop culture now, like obviously it, it contributed, as you just mentioned, but do you think it enables people, right? Because I, I hear a lot of um, like, you're, you're perfect the way you are, right? And as a human being, that's true, right? All human beings sure. inherently, uh, to me, have value. But, right, at what point, it's not healthy to be obese, right? It's not. It's not. So if we know it's not healthy, like why, I guess I just don't understand how society and pop culture continues to enable it, knowing the downsides of not being healthy. It's literally death, right? So would you rather have a societal adulation or would you rather be dead? Like to me, that's an easy fucking answer. It's easy, but I think we've gotten to this. See, this is, this leads over into the whole thing of like, that like every you're every no matter who you are and all this stuff like if you're if you're overweight you got a dad body if you're obese you're perfect the way you are just just who you are you know or that don't call people obese 
it's a medical term. It's not, I'm not shaming somebody or saying, I just, it's, or that it's, you know, that it's okay. You could be um, very, very large and be very, very fit. Okay. You may have some elements of fitness with that, but you're being a certain, uh, being obese is the, it's like pulling the gun. That's the gun for all the other stuff. That's the bullet that triggers the ricochet for all the other stuff. This, it's not okay to be obese. And I, I challenge anybody who's obese to think, say it's okay to be obese. Like, they don't believe that. Why would they? They don't believe that. Their life is harder. Your heart is working way harder on all your vital organs to sustain themselves. You can't do most of the activities. The world is not created for that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's like, why would you? No. There, but to, like to me, the biggest part of this, right, is that like I know people are are really against like the fat shaming and stuff of like course. that. I understand right? that, and, yeah. and no, yeah, same, right. And I understand that there are some medical conditions that cause additional weight loss, blah blah blah. Of but at the end of the day, right, eliminate all of that. That is malleable, right? You can change that. It's not like you were born with a different skin color. You can't change your skin color, right? No. You can't change biology, right? You can change. Right, like we can get into this later on, but sure, but to, sure. Me, that's, to me, that's something that's absolutely malleable that you have full and total control over. So it's up to you, right? So, like, if you don't like what people are calling you, is it their fault or is it your fault? I just, I understand it, and that's, and that's the thing. Is like I'm sensitive to it, and I understand the evolutionary biological reasons for why we are where we're at. It makes total sense to me completely. Daniel Lieberman, a Harvard scientist, uh, wrote a book called Exercise. It's all about what I just talked about here. Literally, the study of um, hunter-gatherer tribes from the past to the hunter-gatherer tribes that are currently living in our world and understanding how this all happened with us, just understanding it. It's amazing. So here's a question. It sounds like we're kind of, or what you just mentioned is like, a, we're superseding biology, right? Because yes. of the imprint we made on the world. Where, like, do you think as human beings, we can overcome a lot of our inherent evolutionary characteristics, like tribalism, for instance, or will that always, always be infused in humanity? I, I feel like as long as we are biological entities, it will always be a part of us. Now, if we are, this sounds crazy, a little, but maybe not because, you know, you see with, if you were fused more with technology, maybe that changes. I mean, maybe over thousands of years, if humans are still around, they're not biologically based as much. Maybe they're more, you know, uh, tech based. I don't know, but I think we'll always have that in us. But I think technology is amazing. It's so amazing. But it can't be so amazing that you think it, uh, that there's no trade-off for it. It just, there's people who think technology will do everything. Yeah, but there's a cost for everything you do, always. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't work like that. Like, if you want to have an easy life where you kick up in your man cave and you get food delivered to you and you don't have to get up to change the TV and you don't have to, what do you think is going to happen if you don't do anything? Yeah. That's the trade-off. You're going to be less healthy. The question is, are we willing to, since we've done this to ourselves and, and we've made life better, listen, I love the life I'm in right now. It's an amazing life. I mean, 
I think this is maybe the best time to be alive. I feel Amen. like, you know, Amen, man. name a better time. Yeah. What's the better time than this? What the plague? Immutable <laughs> <laughs> times? The I don't know. Wars. You tell me. Feudalism. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you want to be like a pioneer? Go. Like, I, I want to be a fun. That's what I would want to be. I don't want to be a pirate. I think that'd be better. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that. It's like you're in the best time. But I think we have to accept the fact, though, that at this point, because life is so much easier for a lot of people, we're in bad condition as a country, as a world. Most of the countries are starting to fall apart. I, I talk to people from all over the world. There's all oh, in South Africa, obesity is on the rise. Oh, China, obesity is on. It's everywhere. It's covering the entire planet. It's because we made our life so easy. Right. Right. You, now we're it's now we're not worried about what we want. To, like, what are we going to eat? We don't know what we're going to eat next. When do it's you like, worry about that? I mean, <laughs> like some countries do. You know, some places do, obviously. But in Westernized cultures, industrialized cultures, that's not even a thing. So now we've made gyms and we've made, we have personal trainers of which I am and all, and all these strange things we've done to actually try to keep our population in shape. But it's not necessarily because people are, are lazy so much is that your biology is telling you, I shouldn't need to do this. I, I don't need to do voluntary exercise. I should be doing out in the field, gathering. I should be hunting. I should be digging. I should be carrying things. Well, sorry, man. We ain't doing that anymore. So you're going to have to do this weird shit that we have planned. <laughs> well, and, and that's and like to go back to our, our um, religion conversation as well, too. Like a lot of times to me, religion is um, overcoming biology, right? It's like giving us yes. and things that overcome our like our human nature to live that, to achieve this fulfilling yes. life. And like that to me is uh, still the, the biggest, the biggest thing, right? Like, would, would you not, would you not agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we have to overcome these things that are inside us sometimes. And, you know, as much as you may say, Hey man, I don't, people are like, I don't need that. I don't need community. I don't need this and that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You, you know what? Because it may not be in religion, but it could be in QAnon. It <laughs> could be in Heaven's Gate. It could be in Wild Wild Country. You choose which thing you want to get into. But I'm, I guarantee you something you're going to be into. Something. It's like, biology. Like colonization of Mars. Yeah, of course. <laughs> People, I, everybody's into something. Listen, Elon Musk is into it, clearly. <laughs> I, I, I had a thought about that the other day. This is what I was going to gonna go and i'm gonna have to run here in like 15 yeah yeah of course but um so you know how obviously um in pop culture now the general sentiment is like elon musk is saving humanity <laughs> yeah right like the space get, taking us to the space colonize blah 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 you know saving right. climate all of that stuff what if right and um, this is conspiratorial what if it turns out he's been a super villain this entire time <laughs> super villain so this dude is going to have the like he's a, a space pioneer, right? And he's going to have a lot yeah. of satellites in space and the ability to send rockets into space with people on them to take them to different planets. There's also a multi-trillion-dollar industry. It is actually alluded to in Avatar, asteroid mining. So the potential for wealth in space is 
it far outstrips any natural resources we have on earth. Mm. So if somebody, right, and Elon's very well poised for this, has the ability to go extract these precious metals from the asteroids and resell them, that guy has a lot of power. That's true. That's very true. See, you're, you're just blowing my mind with stuff today. You're bringing up <laughs> crisis of purpose, space pirates and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> well, dude, this is why I love being in the news, right? It's like, this yeah. is a time, this is a time, it's unprecedented in humanity, right? It's like, if you go back to the Middle Ages, the printing press versus the internet would be the kind of like the only applicable analogy but it's not a perfect analogy right like the internet right. is its own beast it's something we've never ever 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 seen before we've also never colonized other planets um well that's if you believe humans like us were like the only civil you kind of get right. have you heard of that before like that there have been ancient civilizations of humans that got extraordinarily advanced and then ended up killing themselves i definitely have heard of it yeah, so as long as as long as we're not that, right? Like this is an absolute unprecedented time in humanity where we'll have the ability to like within you and I's lifetime, we can go pay like a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks. And we can go to motherfucking space, bro. Like How we crazy can literally go to space. It's all it's unbelievable. I think it's the coolest thing ever. It's the best space, time ever. You know? But space isn't real, so I guess I don't know where we're gonna Well, go. I mean, yeah, exactly. So that's the whole craziness about this time is like and so, again, it's the trade-off. If we're going to go to space, we're going to colonize Mars, there's a trade-off for that. I don't yeah. know what it is completely, but there's something there. It's this, you can apply this to almost anything. You know, well, like, maybe. Right? I mean, think about the news. I mean, if, you, if, news, is, if news media is primarily Twitter or primarily whatever, what's the trade-off if most of the people aren't getting their news there? Is the trade-off that local news companies die? Local news dies it's because happening. of that, right? Isn't that what's happening? There, people are. You got big news organizations that are trying to help and you know keep and survive local news and stuff. Yeah, yeah. well, right? there's a trade-off. There's all. It's always a trade-off, right? And like part of that trade-off too is what I was mentioning earlier, where um, Twitter, right? News is very nuanced, right? Things that happen in the world are very, yeah. very nuanced. There's no room for nuance in 280, 280 characters. No. There's not. So what do you have to do? You have to distill it down. And when you distill it down, if it's vanilla, it's not going to get any attention. But if you distill it down and it's you know stoking outrage or you're trolling or you're, you're trying to incentivize engagement, it's like, well, now you're going to distill this really complex, nuanced news topic into talking points and rhetoric that's going to fire up your base to retweet it or like it or whatever. And now you have a bastion that is Twitter, where every time you log in, you're just having a, a screaming match with somebody who you don't even know. Yeah. Never... Exactly. Totally. Peter, you're the man. I know you got to go. I don't want to keep you. But man, this was like totally mind-altering conversation, My, enlightening I dig it, man. I dig it. Yeah. Anytime you want to talk about this stuff, let me know, dude. Cause this is <laughs> like this. I geek out over the existential questions of our time, I guess oh. the, un, the unanswerable whys, uh, maybe a yeah. better way to put it. That's awesome. Well, listen, man, you keep doing your thing. Um, anything you want to plug, please do it right now about the donut and things you're working on. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, if you haven't signed up for the donut, it's a daily newsletter. The donut stands for dose of news useful today. It's like a generic news digest that's supposed to be the antithesis of everything you hate about the news. So five minutes every morning, you'll get informed. You can sign up for the newsletter at the donut.co, not .com, .co. And that's T-H-E-D-U-N-U-T dot C-O. Go sign up for the newsletter. Let me know what you think. Um, You reply to any email you get from the donut. It'll come directly to me. I love having conversations with people, as hopefully you've gathered by now. Um, We're also, I know I've been plugging this like the past couple times too. Um, We've had some uh, momentum on the teacher side as well. So if you're a teacher, educator, make your way to the website, sign up for the newsletter, and please, please, please respond to any email because um, we are building the next-gen digital literacy, civics tools, um, being able to teach these complex, controversial topics in the classroom, providing a, a very easy out-of-the-way box, out-of-the-box ability to do that. So if you're interested in that, if that sounds interesting, you think it'd be good for your classroom, um, we are opening up our beta group over the next couple months Um, What that will give you and your classroom and your school is um, exclusive access to the stuff we're developing. And also we're working on putting together a lifetime deal for y'all where you can get uh, all of our tools and everything we develop forever um, for free or very low upfront cost. It's fantastic. Actually, I might have to talk to you about this for my school district, for my daughter, actually. I, I'm uh, in pretty good with like the whole community and I know the superintendent. So there could be some synergy there actually. I dig it, man. I'll take, yeah. take any and all intros. And as you know, I love having me some conversations. I do know that. Thank you so much, Peter. Have a good one. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.